I've not had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Neil Davidson. I'm the lead pastor here at Hope Chapel. And we've come to the time in our service where we spend some time talking about what God has said to us in the Scriptures. We believe that by understanding the Word of God, we discover the power of God to change us, and through changing us, He changes the world. And so we always spend some time in our services looking at the Scriptures to make sure we understand what it is that God is teaching us and revealing to us through the Word of God. And today we're going to conclude a series that we've been doing all summer long entitled Legends. And we've been looking at those who have been faithful so that we can learn how to do faithfulness through their faithfulness. So we've had a great summer looking at a number of great leaders of the faith in the Scriptures throughout the course of the summer. And today I want to conclude our series with my favorite character, my favorite person in the Old Testament. And that's a guy by the name of Jonathan. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel chapter 14. And if, um, if you're using one of our pew Bibles that you'll find right underneath your seat, um, you can find our text today on page 236. Now let me tell you why I love Jonathan. You know, the, the Scripture, the Old Testament in particular, the Scripture in general, has a lot of spiritual giants. Guys who just were the pace setters, the leaders, the, the guys who, who seemed to change everything. You know, we got the Abrahams and the Moses and the Davids and, and the Elijahs and the Elishas and, you know, the great prophets like, you know, Samuel and, and uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah. But one of the reasons why I love Jonathan is because Jonathan is the kind of person that the kingdom of God is built with. We have to have those spearhead people. We have to have those people who are the, the world changers. But they don't change the world by themselves unless they're the son of God, and that's what Jesus did. But for the rest of us, we do it as a team, and, and you can't do any of that unless you have folks who are really great followers in addition to being really great leaders. And Jonathan is a great leader, but he's also a great follower. And at the core of his heart, he wants to do what God wants to be done. We're not going to cover this part of the story, but I want to give you a little bit of an insight into Jonathan's heart, his identity, his character. Jonathan was the son of the very first king of the nation of Israel. The first king was Saul. Jonathan was his oldest son. By all rights, by all traditions, even by his qualifications, not only because of his bloodline, but because of his spiritual character and his giftedness and his capabilities, Jonathan should have been and could have been the next king of the nation of Israel, and he would have been a tremendous king. But God had decided something different. Because of his father's actions, God had decided to end the, the monarchy of Saul with one generation, just Saul. And he raised up a young man by the name of David to be king, and he was going to be king in Jonathan's place. And Jonathan, because of the kind of person he was, he actually fought to protect David's rights to become king in his place. And, and he's just a man of tremendous spiritual character, somebody of tremendous integrity, a person with a great heart. And so he's a tremendous leader, as we're going to see today, but he's also a tremendous follower. And one of the things I love about Jonathan, 
And this is one of my favorite stories, favorite events in the scriptures is in 1 Samuel chapter 14. And, and looking at this journey we've been through, one of, the, one of the things, when we think about faithfulness, just, just doing day in and day out what it is that God wants us to do, one of the most difficult times for us to do that is when we're experiencing adversity, when life is just hard. It seems like there are no good options for us, you know, and, and we do experience that in our lives. If you haven't, you're remarkably blessed, right? But for the rest of us, we hit these moments where we sense that there really is no good solution. Whether we do A, B, C, or D, all of them have a lot of negative consequences that go with it, and we don't see any other options besides those four, and we feel like we're stuck with no good options, no good solutions, and it's in those moments that we find it to be really difficult to be faithful, because what we want to do is say, let me do it this way. Let me give you an instance. We looked at this last week in Abraham's story, right? Originally arrives in the promised land. There's a drought. They got to move again. They get down to Egypt, and they're getting up to the border. Sarah's beautiful. The Pharaoh has the right, you know, to take whatever woman he wants kind of thing. And so one option is let's tell the truth. Let's tell them you're not only my sister, but you're also my wife. What they'll do is they'll kill me and take you. That doesn't seem to be a good solution, right? <laughs> the other option is, well, let's just lie a little bit. We'll just tell them you're my sister, but we'll leave out the wedding part, right? You know? And, and so there really doesn't seem to be any great options, right? And he just, you're stuck in the middle of it. So how is it then do you learn how to be faithful? How do you learn how to take those moments of adversity and turn them into tremendous moments of victory in faith? Now, those victories may look a little differently, but, but Jonathan offers us some great, great insights on how to take a difficult moment a moment where there seems to be no good options, and turn it into a moment where God's glory, where there is spiritual victory, takes place. Just a little bit of background on our text. The, the, the Israelites were, were a fledgling nation. They had opted to try to operate like all the rest of the nations around them, so they had requested God give them a king, so that they had somebody who could enforce, that could make them do things, and they faced one of these moments under their very first king. His name was Saul. The Philistines, who were their adversaries, who were to their west and to their south, they dominated the coastal plain, the area that between Egypt and Israel that was the easiest to traverse. They had set up along the coast. They had become very strong. And in particular, they had developed the ability to, to work iron. So they could not only make plows and hoes and that kind of thing, they could also make spears and swords. And a part of their agenda, a part of their ambition was to be able to maintain domination over this fledgling nation to their north and to their east, one that was up in the hill country instead of down on the coastal plain. And one of the ways they did that is they made sure that the Israelites never developed the ability, never had the resources to work iron for themselves. So if they wanted a rake, if they wanted a hoe, if they wanted a plow, they had to go to the Philistines. If it got broken, they had to go to the Philistines. And if they wanted a sword, a spear, the, spear, the Philistines said no. So the Israelites have an army that has two swords in it. One belongs to Saul. The other one belongs to Jonathan. <laughs> All the rest of them are fighting with something else. You know, the, the imagery you get is, is 
out of, you know, you look back in our national history, not one of our better moments, but in some of the conflicts between the, our, our troops and the American Indians, you know, we have, we have our troops using rifles and they're using bows and arrows and spears, right? And it's just really not a fair fight in a lot of ways. That's the way the Philistines wanted to keep it. So it's one of these moments where the Philistines have come up into the promised land. They've taken over and are dominating a major pass that would have been a lot of the traffic between the coastal plain and up into the hill country. And they're back in there trying, in the, inside the territory of Israel, trying to oppress them. And that's where we pick up our story. So um, just follow along with me. I'm going to read um, beginning... Um, with the beginning of chapter 14, and then read down through verse 23 of chapter 14. I'll make a few comments along the way so we understand what's going on, the, the pieces, and then I'll come back to our points about how Jonathan demonstrates for us how to turn adversity into moments of spiritual victory. Now, the last verse of chapter 13, now a Philistine garrison had taken control of the pass at Michmash. So it's a, again, strategic road, dominating the area that where, where the monarchy had set up their influence. That same day, Saul's son Jonathan said to the attendant who carried his weapons, come on, let's cross over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. However, he didn't tell his father who was the king. Now Saul, the king, was staying under the pomegranate tree in Migron on the outskirts of Gibeah. The troops with him numbered about 600. And there was a guy there by the name of Ahijah, was wearing an ephod. In other words, he was representing God with the troops, God's presence. And he was the son of Ahitub, the brother of Ichabod, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the Lord's priest at Shiloh. So in other words, we have his pedigree that he was qualified to be this priest. But the troops did not know that Jonathan had left. So Jonathan, his armor bearer, had sneaked out silently while Saul and his troops were, if you were, paralyzed staying further back so not to engage the enemy, and were trying to figure there was no good solution, so they just were doing nothing. Now, there were sharp columns of rock on both sides of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine garrison. We would probably use the word cliff today. There were cliffs, right? They were climbable, but they were pretty much straight up, you know, kind of idea. On one was named, <coughs> one was named Bozes, and the other... Senna. One stood in front of the little village of Michmash, and the other stood it was in, to the south in front of Geba. Now, Jonathan said to his attendant who carried his weapons, come on, let's cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will help us. Nothing can keep the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And his armor bearer responded. Now, again, before you read his response, just get the imagery. Jonathan and his armor bearer are ready to take on an army by themselves. And, and so Jonathan's he's out with his armor bearer and says, hey, you know what? Why don't we just go see and see, you know, let's, just, let's just go kind of taunt the enemy a little bit and see what happens. And, and his armor bearer says, sure, sounds good to me. You know, the, the, the amount of faith, the heart that this guy had is just incredible. So his armor bearer responds, do what's in your heart. You choose. I'm right here with you. Whatever you decide. I got to tell you, you know, the body of Christ would be blessed to have an army of people like we just described in verse 7. All right, Jonathan replied, we'll, we'll cross over to the men and we'll let them see us. 
If they say, wait until we reach you, then we'll stay where we are and we won't go up to them. But if they say, come on up, then we'll go up because the Lord has given them over to us. That will be our sign. Again, I, I, I want you to appreciate the dynamic here, right? So they're going to climb down this cliff on one side. They're going to get out in the middle of the pass. And then they're going to make some commotion so they draw their attention. And this is Jonathan's strategy. They've got the military advantage because they're up on top of the hill. But if they give that up and come down to us, then we'll know God's hand's not in it. But if they keep the military uh, strategic advantage by staying on top of the, of the cliff, we exhaust ourselves climbing up there after them. And when we get to the top, we're sweating and breathing hard and et cetera, then we'll know that God's given us victory. Kind of upside down strategy, right? That's what Jonathan is, is looking at. He's saying, well, you know, if, if this is as absolutely a bad idea as it can get, that's the way it's going to work out, then we know God's working. <laughs> and the armored bearer is saying, let's go. Anyway. So then they let themselves be seen by the Philistine garrison. And the Philistines said, look, the, the Hebrews are coming out of their holes where they've been hiding. So the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and says, come on up and we'll teach you a lesson. Follow me, Jonathan told his armor bearer, for the Lord has handed them over to us. Yet God set this up so we have the absolute worst conditions for a victory. Yeah, God's in this. Here we go. Jonathan went up using his hands and his feet with his armor bearer behind him. And Jonathan cut them down and his armor bearer followed and finished them off. And in that first assault, Jonathan and his armor bearer struck down about 20 men in a half-acre field. So, again, to give you a sense of the intensity of the fighting, half-acre is 100 by 100, right? Our build, this center section of our building is 60 feet by 110. So you just go out 20 feet on each side, and in this span of this area, they take on 20 Philistine soldiers by themselves. Just one after another. Just intense, hand-to-hand -hand combat. Verse 15, terror spread through the Philistine camp in the open fields to all the troops. In other words, they, there was a garrison on top of the mountain, but the army was spread out to the south from them. And so, and, 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 and they hear the commotion, they see their comrades falling, and it just begins to snowball. So even the garrison and the raiding parties were terrified. So the, the earth shook and terror from God spread. And when Saul's watchmen and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, so in other words, they had lookouts watching the Philistine camp. When they saw the panicking troops scattering in every direction, so Saul said to the troops, well, call the roll and determine who is left. In other words, let's figure out what's going on. And they figured out that Jonathan and his armor bearer were gone. So Saul called the, this priest, Ahijah, Ahijah, Bring the ark of God, for it, is with the, for it was with the Israelites at that time. And while Saul spoke to the priest, the panic in the Philistine camp increased in intensity. So what Saul's saying, okay, well, boy, the tide seems to be changing. Let's ask God what we should do, right? And then as, as, as it begins to unfold, he says, well, you know, we don't really have time for that, you know? So he says, stop what you're doing in verse uh, 19. And so Saul and all the troops with him assembled and marched to the battle. And there the Philistines were fighting against each other in great confusion. So the army had literally turned in on themselves. And there were Hebrews from the area 
who had gone earlier into the camp to join the Philistines. So there were some Hebrews who said, you know what, I, let's just join the Philistines. Let's just be a Philistines. We'll, we'll sign up, we'll immigrate, we'll be, get, get a new passport, we'll be a part of their army. And, you know, I, I think some kind of the imagery of like our own revolutionary war, right, where, where there were those who were determined they were going to fight for independence, but there were others who were living here, other colonists who believed that they really should stay with England. And so they were fighting with the British army. Very much the same dynamic going on. So there's a a lot of Hebrews who were in the Philistine camp, a part of the Philistine army, but when they saw all that was going on, even they joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. And when all the Israelite men who had been hiding in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, otherwise all those who just said, I don't want to have anything to do with it, you guys fight it out, I'll serve whoever turns out to be victor or whatever. The guys who were just staying at home, plowing their fields, trying to stay out of it, didn't have the, the courage, if you will, to step up says, even they joined in, and the Philistines were fleeing. Um, they also joined Saul and Jonathan in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day. So here you have a moment in Israelite history where you've got 600 men who are gathered together underneath a tree, and they're looking out at a vast army, and there's no good solutions. No matter what we do, we can't win. There's one guy in the camp by the name of Jonathan, happens to be the king's son, and he just says, you know what, let's, let's, let's just take some action and see if God might bless it. And the very first point I want to make to you today is you think about how do you exercise faith and transform adversity, those moments where there are no good solutions, how do you transfer those into moments that are moments of spiritual victory? Here's the first thing I think you need to remember, first thing I need to remember is we need to remember that faith is more than just a noun. It's also a verb. Faith isn't just something that you have. Faith is something that you do. Faith isn't just a set of teachings, but it's also a principle by which you actually live your life. Faith is not just something you have. Faith is something that you do. And, and, and that, that is a powerful word to us today. Because see, what happens to us is very much like, the, like Saul and his troops. We get into moments where there doesn't seem to be any clear path to victory, no good way out, and we get paralyzed. You know, and we, we have our faith, you know, we, we have the content. You know, Jonathan and his dad would have both known the book of Deuteronomy. They would have known the promise that God had given them in chapter 28, verse 7, that God would drive out their enemies before them, that he would turn them around and make them flee. They would have had that content, just like we have the content of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe that God's Son became a man, so he's fully God and fully man, that that moment where God entered history as a Man took place at what we celebrate at Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ. We know Christ lived a perfect life. He died on a cross to redeem us. We, we know all these great truths. We know that God's poured his spirit within us so that we can have the power of God flowing through our lives. We have all this content, but at the end of the day, faith is also a verb. It says, seek and you shall find, Right? doesn't say sit in your lawn chair and it'll just drop out of the sky into your lap. It says seek and you're going to find. It says ask. Ask. Just like it says pray at all times. It says ask and you're going to receive. It says knock 
the door is going to be open. You know, Jesus said at the very last thing he said to his disciples on the planet, according to Matthew, was go, go, therefore, and make disciples. You know, it's, it's action-oriented, right? You know, enter by the narrow gates. Pray at all times. You know, whatever's good, whatever's noble, whatever's true, think. Think on these things. When, often when we get into moments of difficulty, the only thing we can think about is our difficulties, Right? And the instruction of God is, I want you to act by thinking about the things that I've told you are good and noble and true and eternal and et cetera. And I want you to think on these things. Faith at the end of the day is a verb. It's something we do. It's something we live out. It's not just something we possess. And and it's a nice little resource we can pull out every once in a while when we pull out our Bibles and blow the dust off them. It It is something we do. We we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We love the Lord our God as, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's a verb. It's something that we do. And there's this wonderful dynamic that when faith-filled people act in faith, submitting to the overall sovereignty of God, sometimes our actions create these wonderful moments for God to show up and redeem. It's not just that we just think up what we want and go do, but when we are faith-filled people and we are acting in faith, it creates these moments where God can step in and deliver into change. And that happens over and over again in the Scriptures. And as Jonathan and his armor-bearer head out, they're taking action. They know that God's not constrained to save by the many, by the few. There's only two of us. There's a whole army in front of us. That doesn't really matter. What matters is whether God chooses to show up in the midst of our action, and they step out in faith. And i got to tell you, you know, one of the dynamics that we need to be honest about is that when we get into these moments of adversity, we really don't know what the good solutions are because there doesn't seem to be any. What most of us do is we get paralyzed. And the words that dominate our thoughts are, I can't or I won't. And Jonathan, that's what's dominating the camp of Saul. Jonathan and his armor spirit said, we will, and then we'll see what God does. We will, and then we'll see what God does. And faith it's designed to be, you know, experience this, you know what, you're interacting with, with a married couple that their relationship's not in great place and whatever, and, 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 they, and they don't see any great solutions to fix it, and then you hear, sister, well, you know, I just won't go to counseling. I just won't go to counseling. And, and, and you get this paralyzation that goes on, you know, and, and there's ways in which, are we going to step in faith and ask God to remove... Faith is a verb. It's not just a noun. And if you and I really want to be people who transform adversity, those difficult moments in our lives, into moments of spiritual victory, we have to exercise faith in the moments. The second truth that we really need to appreciate is that we need to accept that the outcome might not be what we really like. We need to accept that the outcome might not really be what we like. God is sovereign. God is working. He doesn't always work out his plan the way we would like for him to work out his plan. You know, it's interesting when you look at this passage of Scripture, as Jonathan is talking to his his armor bearer in verse 6, he says, perhaps. 
perhaps the Lord <laughs> will grant us victory. Jonathan climbs down the hill, gets ready to move out into the pass, expose himself to the Philistines. He is just as prepared that God's going to say, no victory today, time to go back home. That's not the outcome that Jonathan and his armor bearer want. That's not what's going to be great for the nation. It may, you know, they could land up being defeated in the long run. We know all those things, and, and yet he is committed to the fact that whatever God chooses is best. And, and, and this, is, this is an attitude of heart that is tremendously powerful for us if we're going to be people who turn adversity into spiritual victory. Because somehow or another, we, we get it in our minds that if it doesn't work out the way we want it, that somehow or another God has failed us. And that leads to moments of spiritual failures, not spiritual victories. And God has told us, and this goes back to what we looked at last week a little bit with Abraham about the nature of faithfulness. It's not just obedience to his commands, but it also takes real trust in his purposes. And we have to trust in the, in the character of God. God has told us that he is going to orchestrate every single thing in our life so that he can shape the presence of Christ within us. And if we hit moments that we don't like, it's because God is trying to shape the presence of Christ within us. And, and we need to be ready to accept those things, the hardships, the loss, the difficulty, the testing. The list could just go on and on. God has these moments where, in some cases, he chooses to heal, and in other cases, he chooses not to heal. Sometimes he protects, and sometimes he doesn't protect. You know, we, we, you know it... it, it and God works his way out, but you and I as people of faith, as we exercise faith in the midst of our adversity, we need to accept that what we might want to be the outcome may not be exactly what happens. And Jonathan and his armor bearers, they climbed down one side of that ravine and found themselves at the bottom. They didn't know what was going to happen. It wasn't until the Philistines said, hey, you rats, come on up to us, that they knew what God was going to do. But they were prepared for whatever outcome God was going to give them. And we need to be ready to do that as well in our own journeys. That's a powerful word for us. Here's the, the, the third truth that I see from Jonathan that I think is just this wonderful truth that applies across our lives. That What, what mattered to Jonathan in this circumstance, whether there was was whether or not God's hand was in it or God's hand was not in it. As he got, you know, it, God is not constrained by the many or the few. It wasn't the circumstances. It was what God was up to. That was the determining factor. And so here's the point I have for you is that we need to truly value that what matters most in the whole scenario is whether God is present in bringing the victory. We need to truly value that what matters most is whether God is actually in it or not. Here's Jonathan, you know, and, and you know, contrast him to his father and his, ar his father's army, right? They're back underneath the tree. They're not doing anything. They're looking out, and the circumstances say it's hopeless, and you're helpless. There's 600 of you, the people are afraid, and they're hiding back in their fields, and people are deserting your army and going over to the Philistine army. This situation is hopeless. It is helpless. There is 
nothing that you can do. And he's looking at the circumstances, right? And, and he looked at the, the odds are too great. There's no good solutions. We're, we're doomed. And then you get on Jonathan's perspective, and there's two guys down the bottom of a ravine being forced to climb a hill. <laughs> you climb a rock cliff, strapped in their armor, carrying their own weapons, going to be exhausted when they get to the top. And they say, you know, the only thing that matters is whether or not God shows up or not. It's the only thing that matters. See, it doesn't have to do with our circumstances, not the many or the few. It's simply whether or not God chooses to deliver. And, and, and that, that conviction is powerful in our journey, that we realize that the only thing that determines what's going to take place is whether God chooses to show up and work or not. And we're ready to live with either outcome. Got one more truth for you. In some ways, they're almost kind of throwaway verses as you start reading 21 and 22. Here's the dynamic that's going on, right? You know, Jonathan is in his armor bearer. You know, they're just, this is a made for TV movie, right? Just one guy after another. And the thing, and then all of a sudden, you know, they, the, the, the bigger camp hears this commotion. They, they don't know how many Israelites are coming up the hill. And so there's this confusion, and they start to turn on one another and starting to flee, and they don't know who's on what side. And so the Philistine army's all fighting with one another. And then the, 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 Philistine, the, the Hebrews, who had gone to be a part of the Philistine army, they, they said, but I, I want to be on the winning side here. So they switch sides, and now all of a sudden they're starting to attack the Philistines from the inside out. And then all these other guys who were hiding back in their homes, they hear the commotion. The battle's going on. They rally, and they, they run the few miles or whatever it is to join the battlefront. And before you know it, an army of two has turned into a national army. And here's the point I want to make to you. How you handle moments of adversity is a sacred responsibility. Because how you handle it is going to be contagious in a good way or a bad way in the spiritual lives of other people. You look at, you look at Jonathan and his armor bearer and their faithfulness in the midst of this adversity of an oppressing army that they had no business defeating. The way they handled it was so contagious, it rallied the people and created an overwhelming victory. And how you handle adversity in your own journey is going to spiritually impact the lives of other people in incredible ways. It seems to me that when we hit those moments when life gets a little harder, it's kind of like the, hill, the city sitting on top of the hill gets moved to a higher mountain so it can be seen further, right? Or, you know, when we take our lamp and we put it on top of the lampstand, it seems that that lampstand just gets a little taller or gets moved a little bit more to the middle of the room. You just can't miss it. And what, and what, what we see from this text is that the way you and I handle those moments when life just seems to be kind of pressing in and there's no great options and we, we feel overwhelmed and overpowered, we feel helpless and hopeless as we exercise faith in the midst of those moments, the, 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 the chance for that to have a ripple effect and impact the lives of others is it's just off the chart. And so when you and I get to those moments, they are incredible moments. They, they are a sacred responsibility because they are highly contagious moments in our journeys. 
And so there's this just awesome privilege as well as responsibility that comes when, when God brings difficulty into our lives, moments that we're not, we're not looking for. Just talking to one of our guys out in the lobby, you know, and he's been having some health issues and this and that, and they've been watching some stuff, and, and it, it just, you know, it just, it looks at this point in time, he's going to have to do chemotherapy and radiation, and he said, you know what, I, I'm just getting my heart ready for this because I, I want to do it well. I want to do it well. You know, and, and there's that sense in these moments that one of the ways that you and I turn adversity into victory is that by the way we handle the adversity, we inspire the lives of other people to be faithful, to step out in faith and to see what God can do. So we come to the end. And here's my thought for you, and I'm going to give you a moment to think about this prayerfully. And is I want you to think about where is it in your life today that you need victory? Where do you need victory? Maybe it's in your job, where you're experiencing process doing your job. Maybe, maybe it's in your finances. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's a relationship with a parent or a sibling or a neighbor, classmate, roommate. <laughs> some, of you just, some of our college students are just getting their new roommates. Uh, where is it that you need victory today? And what faith-filled action will you take to see if God's going to show up and do something special? Let's pray for just a moment. So where's that place in your life where you need victory? Let's just ask God to guide you to that place, to that thought. Maybe it's an attitude that really needs to be changed, a habit that you need to eliminate, a person that you need to love and forgive like you've never done before. A ministry you need to embrace. Where is it that you need victory today? Assuming you have a sense, what faith-filled action are you going to take? What, what cliff is it that God wants you to climb down and expose yourself to the enemy? What initiative can you take in faith today? God, I think I speak for all of us today that we wish there wasn't adversity in our lives. We wish it would be, always be sunny during the day and just rain at night. We wish the wind would never blow unless we really need a breeze. There would never be any pain, never any losses, never setbacks. But God, that's not the reality. Because in your patience, in your grace, 
You're holding off the return of Christ so that many can return to you. They can see what you've done in Jesus Christ, respond to your call in their lives, place their faith in Christ, turning away from a life of sin and turning back to God through Jesus and experience eternity. And with this, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world today that's just hurtful and painful. And God, we, we don't want to be victims. We want to be victors. God, help us to trust in you and make faith a verb and embrace those sacred moments so we can be blessings to others as we experience victory in the midst of adversity. For I pray this in the name of Christ today, who is the ultimate example of turning adversity into victory. We pray in his name today. Amen. As we come to the end of our service, we always have a moment where we get a chance to celebrate the God who has spoken to us. A chance for us to maybe solidify our decisions just a little bit. The next action steps. It's also a chance for us to worship the Lord through our gifts. And so our ushers are going to come and we're going to pass the plate for you to worship the Lord through your offering. It's also a chance you can throw your prayer cards in there so we can be joining you in prayer this week. Let's stand together as we can move towards the conclusion of our service. It's great to have you all here today. And uh, hopefully if uh, you're one of our guests today, I'd love to have a chance to meet you before you take off. I'll be hanging out in the lobby. And in fact, if you met a guest today, it would be great if you do me the honor of introducing me to them before they get out the door today. And uh, there's always coffee and some other goodies in our kitchen window. I'd love for you to grab some of those and just hang out. We, we, even if we lock the doors, you can always leave. So you can stay as long as you want, all right? So, and... Um, you know, if, you know we, we don't emphasize this very often, but, you know, if, if you found today's message helpful, you think it might apply to somebody else, be a good word for them, you can always go to our website, probably up in the next hour or so, uh, if not sooner, and you can just click on the link and email it to them. We usually have somewhere between 175 and 200 downloads a week of the messages. So people are doing that all the time, and it makes a great resource where you can some, use it to bless other people as a part of that journey as well. And, um, you know, just, just keep in mind, with all the, our circumstances just clamor for our attention. Remember, with God, all things are possible. Jeff, lead us in our prayer. Father, thanks for the chance to be here together today to worship you. Uh, for the reminders about faith, we thank you for uh, the many examples in your word we have of people who are willing to step out without really knowing how you would act, but uh, stepping with faith that you would, you would be there. Pray that we would uh, change our lives to really live that way as well, and that we would be willing to, if urged by you, to step out, to go, and then to see how you work in us. Be with us this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.